Welcome to Here's to Your Health with Joshua Lane. Here's to Your Health discusses the current thinking and wellness, bringing you the most influential thinkers in beauty, fitness, and longevity. Your host, Joshua Lane, was part of the Dr. Ann Wigmore team that helped bring wheatgrass, sprouts, and raw foods to a worldwide audience. And now the host of Here's to Your Health, Joshua Lane. Welcome to this edition of Here's to Your Health. I'm your host, Josh Lane. Happy to say that my guest is Jolie Root, and Jolie Root is the senior nutritionist for Carlson. Carlson known for their fish oils, and Carlson is a sponsor of Here's to Health. Very proud to say that. Always like to mention that Susan Carlson, who founded Carlson in 1965, a registered pharmacist, was the person, along with her father, who was a registered pharmacist, who introduced natural vitamin E to the marketplace, D-alpha-tocopherol, plus the beta, delta, and gamma tocopherols in 1965 when that was cutting-edge technology. And I always kind of feel a little bad that nutrition doesn't get the credit it deserves for its important breakthroughs in technology. But Carlson is one of the companies that really made a major difference to the health of the American population and people around the world through the introduction of the natural, full-spectrum vitamin E. Jolie Root, Welcome to Here's to Your Health. Josh, it's always great to be with you. We have such interesting conversations. So thank you. Thank you for bringing me in and that that great introduction and, and a little bit of a tribute to Carlson Labs. Yes. Yes. Well, I'm, I'm really actually very proud of the association I have with Carlson because I enjoy fish oils on a personal level and professional level. I'm always happy to recommend them to people because they work so nicely. And we do like to discuss fish oils on the show. And what is your important topic today? Well, always, when you and I have these conversations, you ask me, is there a specific amount of fish oil that is really best for everyone? What would that dose be? When should people take it? And generally, my answer is yes, 2,000 milligrams combined EPA and DHA. But there are a couple of scenarios where we would recommend a higher dose. And the scenario that I have in mind is people who are athletic, people who play sports, people who are, you know, just very active and maybe have a sports injury. Uh, concussion is the example that I want to use here. And when that is the case, higher doses of the fish oils can help that person recover more effectively. And, and so it, you know, we, we kind of cross into, are we talking about medical treatment here? What we are talking about when we talk about somebody that has had a, a brain injury is flooding the brain for a short amount of time two to three weeks with a much higher amount of the active ingredient in fish oils that is so important for the structure of the brain, and that is the DHA component in the omega-3s. You still want a little bit of the EPA. Those are the two main omega-3s in fish oil supplements. But the DHA is very, very important for helping a brain heal. And so... When that happens, instead of the teaspoonful, if you will, of the liquid fish oil that I typically recommend once or twice a day, um, I recommend a tablespoonful, and I recommend that tablespoonful 
three times a day for one week. Mm-hmm. And then we, and then we go back to two teaspoons full for another week. And then we go to one teaspoon full for that last week and maintain that dose. And the reason being, we really want to flood the brain cells with the active omega-3s that help to facilitate healing, balance some of the inflammatory response, clean up some of the debris of healing. In this case, we're actually looking at the omega-3s as kind of an immune function here because when we have an injury, there's some debris that has to be cleaned away. And that's what red blood cells come in and white blood cells come in and bring circulation. And if we really are taking in a great amount of omega-3, like what I described, then those white blood cells are bringing omega-3 and the red blood cells are bringing omega-3, improving circulation in the brain and flooding the brain with those omega-3s to help facilitate the healing, clean up some of the debris and and improve the signaling in the brain so that the person, sometimes when we have a concussion, we start to experience some brain fog around that. And what we mm-hmm. want to do is kind of think of it as cobwebs, kind of sweep those cobwebs away too. So there are sometimes situations where higher amounts of the omega-3s make sense. All righty. That seemed pretty comprehensive. Our guest is uh, Jolie Root. Jolie Root is a senior nutritionist for Carlson, and we're talking about using uh, omega-3 fish oils, EPA, DHA, for concussion. And now concussion actually happens a great deal in in, in in sports, in football, in soccer. I mean, it just it happens in all sports. And so do the studies now support this, that fish oil indeed is helpful when a person has had an injury uh, in football? They do. And there actually is the, the advent has been to start using omega threes, even sometimes in emergency medicine with people that have been injured. And so, um, the NFL, there are some trials going on with NFL. Um, there are neurologists and doctors who are going out and learning these protocols. And a doctor comes to mind, is, his, his name is Michael Lewis. Oh, yes. He published a brain injury protocol using omega-3s. And so um, he goes out and gives lectures. There was a period in time just a few years ago where I couldn't go to a meeting where physicians that do integrative medicine were in attendance, where the physicians were the audience, that Michael Lewis was not presenting right. his protocol. Right. Right. Um, so it is uh, among the group of people who would be friendly to the idea of nutrition as healing, um, it is a well-accepted protocol for not just not just sports injuries, but, you know, I mean, people fall and they hit their head on the sidewalk, Josh. Right, it can right, happen. Right. It's, it, you know, it's an unfortunate situation, but, uh, but, but we can bump our heads. It's a lot right. easier than we think. We really should probably be wearing helmets. <laughs> right. 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 Yeah. Michael Lewis, I, I think Michael Lewis, uh, he's a graduate, I think, of West Point. He was in, he's worked, he spent, I think, 20 years as a physician in the armed forces. That's right. 
Right. That's right. And so here's another group of people. Here's a group of people, and this is what we know about the military. The military's omega-3 intake is not what it should be. And yes. when we have had uh, – th- there are some really eminent omega-3 researchers like Dr. Lewis and like jo- Captain Joseph Hiblin with the Army, who's also with National Institutes of Health. And they have gone out and done omega-3 index levels on returning war fighters and found that in some cases they have a, a level of omega-3 and omega-6. It's 26 times higher in omega-6 than omega-3. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't want that to be more than 4 to 1, that ratio. And here these people were 25, 26 to 1, meaning they're just not getting the omega-3 that they need. And what happens with the military is explosives, you know, these incendiary devices, and they get traumatic brain injury when that happens. And so helping them recover um, with, you know, this same kind of protocol is something that some of these very, very savvy doctors are doing. Yes. Our guest is uh, Jolie Root. Uh, Jolie Root is the senior nutritionist for Carlson, Carlson known for their fish oils. Uh, and Jolie, so you're saying that when Men and women in the service are exposed to loud explosions from, you know, bombs, etc. That indeed this can trigger problems with uh, cognition. Yes. Yeah. All right. Yes. And so what what we know is that the omega threes are part of the structure and they enhance the function of the brain. So it's not a drug like effect. It is yes. putting in place the building blocks for brain health and brain function. And, and that's really what we're talking about here. And when we're using EPA, DHA, do the, do, does the service, does Michael Lewis and, and other physicians, are they using EPA in a capsule form, in a liquid form? What do you find most people would rather, in, most people, what do, they, what do people really want to use? Well, generally speaking, people tend to shy away from the liquids, but when we're talking about these larger doses, the liquids just make it easier. So what they do is mix it into a smoothie or put it into something that the person is eating so that they can really get the, you know, the the multiple grams of EPA and DHA that they need. Generally, what I find is people prefer capsules. Um, but here we would be talking about a lot of capsules, Josh. So the liquids are probably more practical for this. And what is the potency of EPA DHA that you have found through the studies to be effective for, I'll use the word concussion or brain trauma? Well, what Dr. Lewis's protocol calls for is 9,000 milligrams combined EPA and DHA with the emphasis on DHA, looking at the DHA being like five to one on the EPA. Mm -hmm. So we're really talking about a big lift on DHA with some EPA tagging along, but the real work here is being done by the DHA. And again, Dr. Lewis's protocol is one week of the nine grams combined and then one week of six grams combined and then a maintenance dose of 3,000 milligrams with around 2,000 to 2,500 of that being DHA. All righty. All righty. And so when we use the EPA DHA for 
precognition for brain trauma. So Michael Lewis is using that, that high potency. Again, I always, this is, I think, an important question. Should we be taking the, the EPA DHA with food? And yes. do you prefer divided doses? Um, no, I don't care about the divided dose part uh, as much as I care about the with food part, Josh, mm-hmm. because you really want the body to be going through the process of digestion and the bioavailability is much greater when there are foods present with your fish oils. And may I ask, have there been any studies to support when the res- the good results of using fish oil, EPA, DHA, when we can see them in a patient? Um, the timing is different depending upon the severity of the person's condition. So generally, you're talking about uh, a healing period. The, the high dose period is only a three-week period, and then you stay on that 3,000 milligram dose thereafter. And so the it it... it Depends on the patient, Josh. So it could be, it could be a month, but it could be six months. And this work that the military is doing on EPA DHA, and I'm get, are, is the are the foot are the football leagues also doing research? Are they contacting Carlson? Not Carlson directly, but I think that the NFL is working with some team doctors to make sure that omega-3s are part of a nutrition protocol for some of the players. All righty. And for those of you just tuning into Here's to Your Health, our guest is uh, Jolie Root, the senior nutritionist for Carlson. Carlson, a major sponsor of the show, known for their fish oils and for their vitamin E. Uh, selling natural foods, well, actually selling vitamin E to the marketplace, the American marketplace since 1965. I want to mention the enormously excellent track record of Carlson. Jolie, what about the idea of stroke patients? Now, there's a real serious problem. Uh, is there much research on using fish oil, EPA, DHA, and stroke patients? Well, there is some research, and it has mixed results and again the the issue is um you know the age and the condition of the person right. but for the same reason as a concussion uh, a stroke patient still needs to nourish the brain so there is a rationale for making sure that omega 3s are in place for someone who is healing from a stroke. Right. Now, stroke is, you know, a pretty serious business. And we're not saying that fish oil is a cure for that. But it does seem to be that fish oil for brain trauma just seems to be kind of, I hate to say it, a foundation idea. It really seems like it's just, it's just very helpful. And it seems to be inexpensive and it's easy to implement. And the results seem to be, as I always mention this, the results on cognition turn out to be pretty quick. Yeah. Yes, they do. And remember, this is food, you know, something that's naturally part of the diet, unfortunately, here in North America, not not to the level that it should be. But it's it's naturally part of the diet. And every creature has a brain that needs omega three from, you know, the tiniest little minnows to humans and, you know, and beyond. Our guest is Jolie Root, the senior nutritionist for Carlson, Carlson known for their fish oils. Jolie, how can listeners of Here's to Your Health contact Carlson, and where can we purchase the Carlson fish oils, which, by the way, on a personal level, I use 
to great success. And when I first started using, maybe it's 15 years ago now, I was so surprised how well it worked for me. And I always like to mention that I'm a person who does a very good job of taking care of themselves. So I was surprised how the Carlson fish oils boosted my cognition because I take pride in being a sharp guy. I think I'm sharp. And yet, when I eat, and I eat carefully, and when I took the fish oils within a week, my cognition was clearly and obviously better. So on some level, I was slightly embarrassed that I was so late to, to get on the bus. I understand that, Josh, but yours is one of many stories like that. We all think that we're doing a little better than maybe we are, realistically. Right. But to reach Carlson, the best thing, that you probably just reach out to them on their website, which is carlsonlabs.com. And the you know there's a blog there. There's a whole lot of great information about staying healthy. And, the, of course, the Carlson products are sold in natural food stores, natural pharmacies, uh, supermarkets, and and lots of uh, Internet retailers as well. Well, thank you very much. Our guest has been Jolie Root. Jolie Root's a regular contributor to the show. Jolie Root is the senior nutritionist for Carlson. Carlson, known for the introducing natural vitamin E to the marketplace and for their excellent fish oil EPA DHA. This is Josh Lane. You're listening to Here's to Your Health. I'm going to take a short break. We'll be right back after these important messages. Medical scientists worldwide are encouraging people to eat more fish. Most American diets are low in cold water fish that are abundant in important omega-3 oils. DHA and EPA are the vital components of fish oil that provide healthy benefits. Not only are they crucial for brain and vision development, they're very important for cardiovascular health. Carlson, America's leading Norwegian fish oil brand, specializes in both great-tasting soft gels that are easy to swallow and fish oil liquids that don't taste fishy. That's right, Carlson provides the most extensive line of fish oils to meet all your needs. You can take Carlson fish oils with confidence. For Carlson fish oils are tested for purity, potency, and freshness. Ask for Carlson Norwegian fish oils today. That's right. Ask for Carlson Norwegian fish oils today. U-Theory is a family-owned and operated supplement brand on a mission to inspire wellness in all. From farm to shelf, quality is at the heart of our products made in Southern California. Try new U-Theory Daily Fat Burner for healthy weight management. U-Theory Turmeric to support healthy inflammation response. U-Theory Collagen for hair, skin, nails, tendons, and ligaments. And Ashwagandha to help reduce stress, boost overall well-being and clarity. U-Theory, made for all of you. Welcome to this edition of Here's to Your Health. I'm your host, Josh Lane. And the most publicized mental health challenges facing veterans service members are PTSD and depression. And some research suggests that approximately 14%, up to 16% of U.S. service members deployed to Afghanistan and Iraq have PTSD or depression. Our guest today is Christopher D. Kalenda, who is a West Point graduate, a combat veteran, a retired U.S. Army colonel, and he studies this subject, veterans' health and wellness. Uh, Dr. Kalenda, welcome to Here's to Your Health. 
Oh, thanks. It's it's great being here. I just want to make sure people know that my doctorate is in war studies. It's not in a medical field or anything like that. No, that PhD is uh, is certainly important. Now, again, you graduated from West Point. That's where you received your undergraduate degree. Where did you receive your PhD? At a place called King's College in London. All righty. So, and as I understand it, you advise uh, senior military people and also uh, uh, several undersecretaries of defense. Uh, am I correct in saying that? Yes. In my mil- military career, I was a combat leader. I led about 800 paratroopers in eastern Afghanistan uh, in a 15-month deployment, one of the toughest areas out there. And and then after that, I was a senior advisor to three of the four-star generals and uh, to the secretaries of defense. Now I consult for uh, business leaders. All righty. So you have really a real background in in combat in Afghanistan and, and, and Iraq, and you see what that does to uh, everyone, the combatants, you know, the, the men and women fighting, the uh, people who live in the communities. So this is obviously very traumatic. Now, as I understand it, it's possible that as many as 22 American servicemen kill themselves each day. Is that a correct statistic? Yeah, yeah. 22 service members uh, each day die by suicide. Um, in the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan, over 7,000 service members lost their lives. In that same period of time, over 30,000 veterans died by suicide. Right. Uh, within my own unit of 800 paratroopers, we had six killed in action in Afghanistan. And uh, we've now lost more, more than that to suicide and overdoses than to enemy fire. And it's, it's part of the reason why I undertook this 1,700-mile bicycle ride. Right. Right. Of course, so listen, so that's really a terrible statistic. Now, I, I'm guessing that the uh, military is paying much more attention to this than they did maybe, you know, 30 or 40 years ago, as they understand more about, you know, human health and human emotion. Now, I'm not sure, I don't know what the VA is doing about this, but what are you doing about this to help the American veterans? Well, I, I can help my my group of uh, 800 survivors and uh, and their families. So that that's where I'm focused. I undertook the 1700 mile bicycle ride last uh, last month. So I just finished about a week and a half ago to visit the graves of the six paratroopers from my unit who were killed in action in Afghanistan and to uh, raise awareness and raise support for the 800 surviving members of the unit and their families um, who need help and. Yeah, you mentioned combat earlier. We, I mean, we fought for 15 months in one of the most dangerous places in the country. Um, and, you know, this group achieved something extraordinary, which was motivating a large insurgent group to stop fighting and, uh, and to switch sides, which I think is the only time it's happened in the 20-year history of the war. Uh, but it comes at a cost. All that fighting comes at a cost. And, you know, six killed, uh, scores wounded. And, and then, of course, uh, anybody who goes through combat like that, uh, close quarters combat where you're killing and, and, um, and wounding and you're seeing people get killed and wounded, uh, you don't come away unaffected. Right. I call it post-traumatic stress normal because any normal person who goes through that is going to be affected. Uh, when I was pedaling from Nebraska to Iowa, I crossed the Missouri River and the Missouri is a glacier cut river. Um, where a glacier moved through eons ago and it, and it dug this deep groove called the Missouri River. 
it created a, a floodplain, um, a fertile plain where you can grow stuff. And then it created heights on either side. Uh, combat is a bit like a glacier that moves through your life at a high rate of speed. And it changes you. Uh, when you go through what these paratroopers went through, um, it is going to change you permanently. It doesn't mean you're broken. It doesn't mean you need fixing. You're just different. It's like that glacier that just moved through your, through your life. Um, the key is to find ways to grow stuff on the, on the fertile plains and to get up to new heights. It can be, um, a lot of people get trapped in a river and when you're in the river, you start to drift and there is only one direction, only one way you can drift. And that's, and that's downhill. Um, and eventually you go downhill long enough where you cross the line into things like depression, uh, self-harm, substance abuse, and death by suicide. Um, we have one, one of our best non-commissioned officers from 2007, a, a top 1% guy in the unit. Um, he now lives in a dumpster outside of a city in Northern California, uh, outside of a city library in Northern California. And, and, uh, he's a meth addict. Uh, we've got another guy who was badly wounded, um, recovered so he could come back to the unit during this 15 month deployment. And after the military bounced around, couldn't quite find the right fit, couldn't find right, find the right belonging, bounced from job to job. And now he, uh, now he drinks himself, uh, you know, all, all day. Right. And, you know, th- those are just two of, of several stories like that. Um, and, you know, that's a, that would be a, a, probably a minority of the 800. Uh, most are struggling with a finding new purpose and belonging. And I mean, I can't, I can't know this is happening with people who had my back for 15 months in combat and not try to do something about it. So that's why we t- undertook the honor ride uh, to uh, honor the honor our fallen um, and also support the living. For those of you just turning into Here's to Your Health, our guest is Christopher D. Kalenda. He's a PhD, West Point graduate, uh, retired U.S. Army colonel, a combat veteran, working with uh, American soldiers who have been uh, injured uh, through their experience uh, in this service. And the question is, what can be done now? Now, when you just mentioned the man, you know, living in a dumpster who was a top non-commissioned officer, so, and now meth addict, these type of terrible things happen. Is it because the men have such a close bond in the service? And when they get out of the service, no one really knows what they did. No one really knows who they are. And suddenly they find themselves doing some sort of, I hate to use the word mundane job, and they're isolated, and they think, good Lord, no one has any idea of what I've done. I am just completely alone. I mean, is is that the scenario? That's a that's a very important part of it. Uh, there's a thing called the happiness curve that psychologists talk about. And the happiness curve is shaped like a U, uh, where the top of the U on one end is your early 20s, uh-huh. and the top of the U on the other end is your early 60s. Oh. The bottom of the U is age 47. And the most of our paratroopers in our unit were 18 to 27 years old. Right. Um, when in 2007 and eight, when they, we were in combat and you know, when you're there, you have this, this 
this awesome sense of purpose. You know, I'm defending my country against the people who attacked us on September 11th. And you have this, this very compelling sense of belonging. Right. Um, the person to my left and the person to my right, they get me, they've got my back and I've got theirs. Right. And then you feel like you've got the support of 300 million Americans wanting you to be successful. That's an awesome feeling. Um, and at some point you leave that and you start to get older. You're starting to travel down a happiness curve and you get out into the, you know, into the real world, so to speak. And yeah, that for a lot of people, that sense of purpose is not quite the same. Right. I just, I don't feel it. I don't feel that same sense of purpose uh, that I maybe took for granted while I was in the military and nobody out here gets me. Uh, I don't think anybody out here has got my back. Uh, they don't know how to help me. And, and you can have this empty feeling. Um, and if you ever heard a gong going off in an empty room, it's painful. And those memories, those post-traumatic stress memories are like a gong going inside an empty room. And, and it can be very, um, easy or you can come to the conclusion that I don't, I don't ever want to feel this way again. You know, I, uh, I, I want the pain to stop. And, and that can lead down a very dangerous road. Um, the paratroopers in our unit now, uh, are now age 35 to 45. They're, they're entering the most dangerous parts of their lives. Um, and that's, uh, that's exactly why I set up the Sabre Six Foundation, uh, is to help them through this because we don't want to lose any more to suicide and substance abuse. Right. Well, that's all actually pretty chilling. For those of you just tuning into Here's Your Health, our guest is Christopher Kalenda, a uh, West Point graduate, a retired U.S. Army colonel, who has a new book out. Uh, he's the author of Leadership, The Warrior's Art, and Zero-Sum Victory, subtitled What We're Getting Wrong About War. And you've probably seen him in the New York Times, on CNN, Wall Street Journal, The Economist, Washington Post, because it's an important topic. It's a very important topic. It's really it's an upsetting topic. But I guess if we address it, then everyone will do better. Now, when men are in the service, do they do better if they stay in the service for 20 or 30 years? Are they just healthier because they're they're with men who get it? Well, at some point, you're going to leave. Right. And 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 so you're going to if you stay in 20 years, you're maybe going to be in your early 40s to mid 40s um, when you leave. You could be or if you get out, uh, if you're a first one term enlistee and you get out after, you know, after four years or so, then then you're going to be in your early to mid 20s. Um, so depending on where you are on that that sort of happiness curve, um, it can it can be very determinative um, in terms of the, you know, the state of your state of mind when you, you know, when you get out um, for a lot of people, the, you know, especially our, you know, the main demographic of the 18 to 27 year olds who were in uh, with us in combat. I mean, that was their first professional experience. Right. You know, and so they're always comparing things to that. Um, and then, and then you ask yourself, you know, well, what is, what good is any of that doing me now? 
I mean, we've lost the ability as as a society to talk to veterans. We don't know how to. So we say, thank you for your service and kind of run away. Right. And then for the veterans, we've lost the ability in many ways to to talk about our experiences to people in society. And and I don't buy the argument that unless you were there, you you can't understand. Um, no, you can't fully understand. But you can get close enough to understand how somebody's feeling. Yes. And that's the point we need to get back to in society um, so that we can help people find a new sense of uh, belonging. Nicely said. I, I, I believe that I that sounded hopeful, but I, I think accurate. Now, are we turning the corner for veterans? And let me ask this question. I always think about this. Is community really... A major factor here. If the men had more sense of community, they would be less inclined to be taking meth or to be drinking alcohol. They just think, no, no, I can go to this meeting, hang out with these my peers. These men are my peers, and I, and I'm happier. I don't need to get drunk every day. Yeah, I. So I go back to this idea of drift. Um, and if you're in the river, and you're drifting downhill, therapy can get you can get you out of the river. Yes. Uh, but therapy alone is not going to get you growing new things. Therapy alone is not going to get you to new heights. Right. Um, so you need purpose and belonging. Um, community can be a very, is a very important part of that sense of belonging. Um, and, and also purpose. Uh, what, you know, what, what are the, you know, what is this next chapter of me about? Uh, what are my, what are my goals? What are my aspirations? Uh, what am I living for? Um, if, if, you know, you can't go forward if you're just fixated on the rear view mirror. Um, and, and if all of your existence is focused on the rear view mirror, you're going to, it's going to lead to a very dark place. Uh, if you're always looking backwards, when you can look through the windshield and say, here's where I'm going and my life is worth living, my impact is worth making, uh, that is a whole different mentality. And so the, the thing we're, doing in the Sabre 6 Foundation is really focusing on uh, purpose and belonging. Um, the VA is very good now. They're much better um, than they were 10 years ago when I left the military. They're very good at um, helping people get out of the river uh, with the therapy. And um, But it's the purpose and belonging that keeps them out. Gotcha. Our guest is Christopher D. Colenda, West Point graduate, retired U.S. Army colonel, uh, Mr. Kalenda, uh, where can the listeners of Here's to Your Health read your new book? What's the name? What's the title of your new book? And where can we? So I've got, it I've got, I've got two new ones that came out: uh, Leadership, the Warrior's Art, and uh, Zero Sum Victory: What We're Getting Wrong About War. So the leadership book, as you can imagine, is is about uh, just that. It looks at leadership. Uh, it helps leaders get good at getting better. Um, it's full of actionable steps um, and uh, that helps leaders get get good. Zero-sum victory, what we're getting wrong about war, looks at the, our last three conflicts, Vietnam, Iraq, and Afghanistan, and asks, you know, why why is the most powerful country in the world continue to fail against ragtag, uh, you know, developing world militant groups? Right. You know, uh, a one-time problem is an accident. Second time, it's a coincidence. The third time, it's a trend. We've got a trend that we need to fix. So you can look at either, you can find either of those books uh, anywhere, any place great books are sold. Um, and if you want to learn more about the Sabre 6 Foundation, you can go to our website, uh, sabersixfoundation.com or honorride.us. 
Well, thank you very much. Our guest has been Christopher D. Kalenda, a retired U.S. Army colonel, West Point graduate, combat veteran, who's doing excellent work to help uh, traumatized American vets. Important topic. This is Josh Lane. You're listening to Here's to Your Health. We're going to take a short break. We'll be right back after these important messages. Medical scientists worldwide are encouraging people to eat more fish. And most American diets are low in important omega-3 oils. Omega-3 oils are the vital components of fish that provide numerous health benefits. Carlson Elite Omega-3 Gems supply concentrated amounts of these omega-3 oils that are needed to support vision, brain function, and a healthy heart. Each great-tasting Carlson Elite Omega-3 Gem Soft Gel contains 1,250 milligrams of fish oil from deep cold water fish. That supplies a full 800 milligrams of omega-3s, all in only one easy-to-swallow soft gel. You can take Carlson fish oils with confidence, for they are tested for purity, potency, and freshness by an independent FDA-registered laboratory. Ask for Carlson Elite Omega-3 Gems at your favorite natural food retailer today. U-Theory is a family-owned and operated supplement brand on a mission to inspire wellness in all. From farm to shelf, quality is at the heart of our products made in Southern California. Try new U-Theory Daily Fat Burner for healthy weight management. U-Theory Turmeric to support healthy inflammation response. U-Theory Collagen for hair, skin, nails, tendons, and ligaments. And Ashwagandha to help reduce stress, boost overall well-being and clarity. U-Theory, made for all of you. Welcome to this edition of Here's to Your Health. I'm your host, Josh Lane. The other day, the uh, cartoonist for The New Yorker, George Booth, well-loved by many generations, passed away at the age of 96 years old. As it turns out, one of my good friends happened to be very friendly with George Booth and his wife, and uh, that's my friend Christopher McQuayle, who's with us today. Chris, thanks for your time. I appreciate you speaking about George this way. Oh, well, my pleasure. It's a, it's a great subject. And um, I think what prompted this was that I wrote a little um, memorable, memorable, memorial or something, whatever you call it, um, about about him and copied uh, Josh on it and um, started out thinking that I would just read the article, but I, I feel as though um, probably better just to speak to what was in my mind when I when I wrote that. Absolutely. So you met George Booth, what, when you were a very young man? When did you first bump into George? <clears throat> in my mid-20s. And I was living in uh, Huntington uh, on uh, Long Island. And um, his mother-in-law went to the church that I went to. And uh, he, uh, George and his wife, uh, Dion, um, used to come and visit her uh, once in a while. And I remembered them from that, but I never really got to know them there. What happened was that um, years later, now married and uh, career change and uh, two children uh, living further out on the island in Smithtown, 
we uh, joined a church that was further out near Stony Brook, which is uh, State University there. And, uh, and they were, uh, George and Dion were, were members there. So our, our wives became friendly and, uh, and we started, you know, we were parroting. So, you know, there the much free time. And so, um, but we had them over. And at the time, uh, I, mean, I really didn't know anything about George. I didn't know that he was a cartoonist, I, but, but he, he was illustrating a, uh, a children's book. Uh, called, uh, Possum Come a Knockin'. And, um, he brought a book, brought a copy of it, um, with him and ended up reading it to my sons and signed, signed a hardbound copy and uh, signed it. And, um, and that sort of began something very, you know, curious. And, and there were, we could already tell they were already very zany sort of folks that, they weren't really operating under the normal uh, um, restrictions of society. And so we got along well on that basis. And um, and then we, we uh, decided to get out of uh, uh, New York and we moved, um, that is my wife and my two sons, and a few goats and uh, a cat and a dog. We decided to move to Virginia, uh, central Virginia, uh, near Charlottesville. And, um, so we lost uh, touch with them because we didn't have the kind of relationship where we would talk on the phone and even write letters, you know, it's really just real time get together and, and, uh, and, and tell stories, a lot of stories. And, and George is filled with stories and he's very good at telling them. So a little bit about what I've learned about George and we'll share. And he's born in 1926, same, same year as my mother. And he, um, went into the Marines and, but was at the tail end of World War II. So he didn't really see any action there. And then he, he said, but he, he grew up in, uh, in the Midwest in Missouri. And he, um, he, one of the first stories he told me was, that while he was back home working on the farm, the family farm, he got a call from uh, a bunch of his Marine buddies who'd come to town and invited him, <clears throat> excuse me, to come in and see them uh, at, at a bar. Well, George and, George and Dion did not drink, and he was raised in a family that didn't, uh, didn't drink alcohol. And so, uh, but he went in because he wanted to see his friends. And they um, more or less coerced him into having a few drinks, which went straight to his head. And he uh, stumbled out the back of the uh, bar, uh, unseen by others, and uh, passed out in the alleyway. Right. And uh, a a, um, a kind citizen, seeing him lying there, came by, put a block of wood under his head to um, keep it, his head off the uh, the damp. Uh, cobblestones. And then uh, someone noticed who it was from, from town and, and called his father. He drove into town to pick up and picked him up. And by this time, he was at least able to, to stand uh, with support. And uh, so he got into the truck and groaning and whatnot, not feeling particularly well. 
after about a few minutes of driving, his father said, well, George, I guess you won't do that again. Right, right. And he never did, uh, which is just, again, it's just a curious story about about a man who somewhat, you know, usually you, you associate um, um, odd behavior with uh, odd habits, and I, I guess he may have had a few, but he's really quite a straightforward, normal guy. At any rate, he and uh, did he, he was he wrote uh, uh, what he called gags uh, cartoons for a military um, publication. I forget the name of it. And then uh, when he got out, he didn't really have a college education, but he decided that he really wanted to stay with. Uh, uh, being an artist uh, in, in the sense of, of producing the cartoons that he had developed a, an interest and taste for. And eventually he ended up at the New Yorker, which is not an easy uh, client to, uh, 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 to become uh, popular or even be recognized. So he, he, um, started with them. I'm guessing somewhere in the late fifties. He said that he was with them for over 50 years. Wow. Wow. And since he just died, that would, you know, you can do the math there. Well, our, our, our guest is Chris McQuayle, who had the great pleasure of having a long-term friendship with George Booth. George Booth really possibly the most well-known cartoonist uh, in the New Yorker, for, as Chris just mentioned, for 50 years. And the New Yorker known worldwide for the quality of their cartoons for sure and for their short stories and their commentary. And uh, so – when you and your wife would hang out with George and his wife, now obviously he was really of your mom and dad's generation, so were you just very deferential? How do you chat with someone and hang out with someone who's really of your parents' generation? Well, it, uh, go into another story about how that this is a story that, that uh, Dion told that uh, George backed up, and that was when they first met. She uh, decided that he needed full-time attention. She was going to devote all of her energy towards uh, um, capturing this guy. Handsome uh-huh. guy, tall, low uh, Louisiana uh, drawl. I'm not Louisiana, sorry, Missouri drawl. And um, she told a story of how she went – when she uh, first went over to his apartment, at that time he was living in Cold Spring Harbor in in, in Huntington, and um, she went into his bedroom, and the two of them ended up jumping up and down on his bed, huh. uh, like a couple of kids. And afterwards, he was asked by his landlord to uh, if he would vacate the premises uh, at his earliest opportunity. Well, in answer to your question, I would say that uh, they they were really quite young in and up until the end. And if the the New Yorker produced a documentary about twenty five twenty eight minutes long, all about him, you, if you choose, it's out there on YouTube. And um, they 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 were continue you know, the the last recordings of them were the two of them talking like a couple of teenagers. That are still just falling in love. Ha, huh, very nice. Um, so, so that that it made it very easy. It was no, there was no age difference as far. I mean, I've always, I've always really enjoyed older people anyway. I've, 
always felt like people my generation were not on the same wavelength as myself. I mean, with obvious exceptions, you know, that was my wife, you know, but, um, so, um, so that, that's that with, uh, with, uh, his, his agelessness, you know, And and I really think that that's what kept him going with new ideas was he was always looking for some kind of new idea. And what happened was that years later, after my children are grown and gone to college and out in the world and I divorced and I retired, I decided to move in with a friend in Brooklyn and have the New York experience. And I immediately searched out what George was up to, hadn't seen him in years, and found out he was living a 10-minute bike ride away from me in Brooklyn. So I rode over and we started hanging out. And we just sit around sometimes and we'd go out. And um, then once in a while we would go to, um, I would take him, I had a car as well, an old Saab that he really liked. It was really funky and old torn leather seats. And and so we'd drive over to a, uh, a Christian science uh, church meeting, which is again how I we met. And uh, neither of us were particularly religious, but we liked the atmosphere and, uh, and he would tell, get up during testimony and give us, tell a story about something. And he'd had enough. His mother, uh, his mother-in-law was a, was a, a pra- Christian science practitioner and his wife had been raised, uh, you know, as, as a Christian scientist. So that was really something that, that, uh, that he enjoyed, that we enjoyed uh, together. But the other thing was I, I said to him in a conversation that, um, he needed new material. I was really just teasing him, but right. but, but I, at the time I w- I belonged to the uh, the Park Slope uh, Natural Food Co-op, which uh, boasted itself to be the the uh, oldest, uh, long, longest, continually running um, uh, co-ops in the world. And I took him there so he could meet uh, some of the odd characters that uh, shop there and there was plenty of them and so um I took him in and uh, he had to sign in because it, it's very strict you can't if you don't belong to the co-op you can't shop there so he had to have a guest pass and I took him upstairs and we stood online and it was his turn and this lovely young uh 30 year old uh, woman asked him for ID he gave it to her and she looked at it and she said George George Booth is that really you and he says, well, that's what they tell me. And uh, so everyone laughed. Everybody's standing around. Everyone seemed to know who George Bush was. Uh, I mean, George Booth was. So um, so uh, she gave him the pass, and uh, we went into the co-op, and he got to experience a lot of interesting Brooklyn uh, characters as well as people that come from far away, Hoboken, Bronx, Staten Island. Right. So... Um, that was that. So now his association with the – our guest is Chris McQuayle, and Chris had the good fortune to be friends with George Booth, the uh, cartoonist uh, most associated uh, with The New Yorker and spent more than 50 years working for The New Yorker, doing some very important work for them, including uh, when 9-11 happened uh, the following week. Uh, really no one knew what to do at that point 
with the disaster that happened uh, to New York City and to the United States. But they actually ran one George Booth, I'll use the word cartoon or gag, that seemed very appropriate, uh, not sentimental, but just very appropriate. So George Booth seemed to have the ability to strike an intelligent chord as a cartoonist, and people really liked his work. He seems to have had a lot of influence. And again, my friend Chris McQuayle is telling us about his experience with George. Now, when George would ride around in your Saab, was he a fan of Saabs? Did he have a car that he liked himself? Not that I know of. I huh? don't remember having that. He could have, but uh, he just liked the idea of an old uh, uh, car and, and that it was kind of as they say, the leather was worn and, and torn. And and what, what's important is that really, I'm really quite surprised that there are a lot of people who don't are not familiar with his name, but have seen his cartoons. So I would say to your audience, if you're not familiar, just, uh, you know, Google his name. He, he did over 20 cover uh, on the cover of The New Yorker. Uh, and then lots of gags in, inside. So the, and he has themes of crazy looking dogs and cats and, and, um, couples arguing and stuff like that. It's really cool. Right. 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 And Chris, what was that, uh, video that you said was just posted by the New Yorker that you'd like to recommend? Oh, uh, if you just type in, uh, uh, documentary, uh, George Booth. Uh, it'll it'll come up and there's several you know uh, uh, versions uh, of it. I mean, in other words, sources Vimeo and and uh, but YouTube has one. New Yorker, I, that's what I, I like the one on YouTube easiest to access and everything. So, well, that sounds real good. I'd like to thank my friend Chris McQuayle for speaking with us today about his good friend uh, George Booth and his wife Dion. And George was a cartoonist. Uh, with, for the New Yorker for more than 50 years and had a lot of influence with his lovely, subtle, Midwestern humor. This is Josh Lane. You're listening to Here's to Your Health. We're going to take a short break. We'll be right back after these important messages. The latest from the greatest, the best in new music by classic rockers with your host, the insane Daryl Wayne. This is Alice Cooper, and if Daryl Wayne is insane, what does that make me? Criminally insane. Stick around to find out. Many of the artist interviews for the latest from the greatest have been captured on audiobook. There is a volume one and volume two. Great information and conversations with people in the industry and people surrounded by the industry, and of course, the rock stars themselves. I'm the Reverend Al Green, and you're listening to the insane Daryl Wayne. And I said, Wayne Insane. You can find it on Amazon or Blackstone Audio. Search for the latest from the greatest from Daryl Wayne, D-A-R-R-E-L-L-W-A-Y-N-E. Hello, this is Weird Al Yankovic, and you're listening to the insane Daryl Wayne, aren't you? (laughs) Thank you for tuning in to this edition of Here's to Your Health with Joshua Lane. If you have any questions about the guests or topics discussed tonight, please give us a call at 818-707-0005. That number is 818-707-0005. This is Josh Lane. 
On behalf of the cast and crew, I would like to wish you a healthy and safe good evening.